Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We just pray that you open up our hearts to your word. Fill me with your spirit as I teach your word and help us to learn as, as I teach on drifting. Help us to drift towards you and not away from you this year. Just fill this time with your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand and learn and pass it on to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, as we get to the end of this year, and a lot of people are going to be making their New Year's resolutions. A lot of people do that. I was looking up the 10 most common ones this year. It says, exercise more, lose weight, get organized, learn a new skill or hobby, live life to the fullest, save more money and or spend less money, quit smoking and spend time with the family and friends, travel more, and read more. So these are the 10 most talked about that they did a poll. Sadly, most people start out strong, but within a month, they sort of give up the new resolution. They forget about them altogether. According to the survey I was looking at, over, there's over 6.8 billion people in the world that claim to believe in God. 2.2 billion Christians, 1.6 billion Muslims, 1 billion Hindus, 500 million Buddhists, and 400 million people of different practicing religions. It's interesting with over 6.7 billion people that believe in some sort of God, that one, not one of their top ten resolutions was to draw maybe closer to God or read the Bible through in one year or to have a better prayer life or to witness more to others. You get the point. So what would our New Year's resolution be if we were to ask everyone in here, what would you want this year? What would you want to do, draw closer to God or what? Just kind of think about that as we're going through this. This morning I want to talk about staying on the right path and not drifting away from God. Not be deceived by what's going on in the world today. Specifically, America drifting, Israel drifting, and how we personally may be drifting away from God's principles. Psalm Psalm 1 is sometimes titled, The Way of the Righteous and the End of the Ungodly. Let's read Psalm 1 together. We'll get an introduction here. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So as we go through this study, you'll probably hear me reread that a couple times. So as I say it, try and memorize it. This is going to be your memory verse. By the end of the day, hopefully you'll know a little bit more about this psalm. Psalm 1 starts out with a choice that everyone has to make. There's kind of a fork in the road that we have to pick from and the consequences that go with the choice that we make. Do we walk in godly counsel or ungodly counsel? Some people say America didn't start out as a Christian nation, but let's check and see. I think it did. One of the reasons America split from England is for freedom of religion. They didn't want the government telling them how to believe. They broke away from their ungodly counsel. We hear all the time that there's supposed to be a separation of church and state. 
but it was to keep government out of the churches and not the other way around. As Christians, we should be plugging into our PTA meetings at school, bringing our godly values to local, state, and the federal governments. We're supposed to not stay home. We're supposed to get involved. The Mayflower Mayflower Compact, written in 1620, starts out saying, In the name of God, and later it says, For the glory of God. And the purpose of this was for the advancement of the Christian faith. The First Amendment to the Constitution says, Congress shall make no law respecting or establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. The term wall of separation between church and state was written by Thomas Jefferson to prevent the establishment of a national church. And in doing so, they did not have to fear government interference in their right and expression of religious conscience. The Bill of Rights was adopted in 1791 as ten amendments to the Constitution in the United States, which was the earliest political expression of religious freedom. So how did America drift away from godly principles to where we are today? We started out using the Bible. You know, for many of our laws, we use the Bible for teaching in schools and our churches. Prayer was used in Congress and courts and in schools. The Ten Commandments were written on many public and government buildings. And God We Trust was written on our money. On the top of the aluminum cap on the, on the Washington Monument, Washington, D.C., there are two words written. It says, Leos Deo. No one can see these words. In fact, most people that visit the monument have no idea it's even up there. There are two seemingly insignificant, unnoticed words, out of sight, and one might think, out of mind. But very meaningfully placed at the highest point over the most powerful city in the world. They mean, very simply, praise be to God. Isn't that awesome? Praise be to God on our highest building, the Washington, D.C. monument. When people would come from other countries, we see that... To see what made America great, they said that every community had a church in it. And they came to the conclusion that their belief in God was the main ingredient that made America so great. We started out as a Christian nation. So what's happening today? What has changed? Why is America declining as a nation as we see it? Kids in school are being deceived. They don't know what to believe anymore. In 1962, prayer was taken out of schools. 63, Bible reading is taken out of schools. 1980, the Ten Commandments were no longer allowed in schools. We don't know the difference between a man and a woman anymore. Churches are allowing false teaching and continually drifting away from God and his word. The the world really wants Christians out of the way, don't they? And hopefully that will happen soon when the rapture comes. Can't, Can't wait. Is President Obama's... In President Obama's speech on June 28, 2006, this is how he delivered it. Whatever we once were, we are no longer a Christian nation, at least not just. We are also a Jewish nation, a Muslim nation, a Buddhist nation, a Hindu nation, and a nation of non-believers. How long do you think it will take before the next president stands up and says, we are not at all a Christian nation? 
How do we drift, drift so far away from God and his principles that we started out with? It's kind of like a boat drifting in the tide. It happens very slowly. It just cruises along. Remember in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, it says, First we're walking, then we're standing, then we're sitting. It's that slow drifting away from God that happens if we don't walk in his ways every day. We drift towards sin and sometimes get yoked together with unbelievers in business and relationships. Remember when we wake up every morning, no read, no feed. We should be in our Bible every day. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's always better to have God guide your paths, isn't it? You've probably heard the story of an airplane that's flying to San Diego, from San Diego to Hawaii, and he sets his course, and his instruments are off one degree. It's only one degree, right? Not very much. He will fly right past Hawaii when he gets there because his coordinates were off one degree. That's how important it is to stay on course. So as we set our course and our destination, which is heaven, don't drift off course, not even one degree. We've got to stay on course. Remember Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Since COVID-19 started, we need to take a closer look at how we're being influenced by our government and how we're being led down a road that we might not want to be going down. In Romans 13, 1-7, it says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister for you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is God's minister to avenge and execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only for, because of wrath, but also for this conscience sake. Because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministering, attending to continually to this very thing. Therefore, Render, therefore, all that is due, taxes who taxes are due, and customs who customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. In verse, verse 3 it says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. But is that really true today? The rulers of today seem to be protect, protecting evil instead of good. Things have been changing, haven't they? So we've got we to pay attention to this. What if you live in China or Russia or Iran or North Korea? The rules of law would be against Christians, not for them. So what do they do? What do we do? Pastor Bill tells us all the time, read and know your Bible. That is our final authority. In Acts 5.17, he says, The apostles were put in prison for ministering to the people in Jesus' name. Then the high priest rose up and all who were with him, which is from the sects of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in common prison. But that night, 
And the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go stand in the temple and speak the words of life. And when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in prison, they returned and reported, saying, Indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the high priest, now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came to them and said, Look, the men whom we put in prison are standing in the temple, and they're teaching the people. Then the captain went to the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled your doc- Jerusalem with this doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles said to him, We ought to obey God rather than man. Peter got it right here. We ought to obey God rather than man. Same with us, right? We should be listening to what God says, not the world. We live in a time when our government does not really understand what evil and good are anymore. There are many other countries that have already been dealing with this type of evil and persecution. And keep, remember to keep them in prayer. They're, they've been suffering for a long time. Eventually, things will be made right again. But until then, we need to be watchmen on the wall and be sharing with people what God says is right. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. As you can see, America has drifted a long way from where we started. I'm going to read a little bit from the book of Joshua and Judges to see more of the results that I'm talking about in Psalm 1. Here's a quick overview of a few of these books just so you get an idea of where we're reading from. The book of Deuteronomy ends with the death of Moses and Joshua takes over. The book of Joshua ends with the death of Joshua and the judges will take over from here. The book of Judges ends and then the kings take over. It seems like God tells them, don't do this or don't do that. And all the Israelites say, we won't. But they constantly keep getting off the path, the right path. We sometimes ask, why can't they just obey God? You ever read the Bible and you go, man... These guys are constantly doing the wrong thing. But that reminds me of a lot of how we are. We do the same things, don't we? So as we read through Joshua and Judges, remember, walking, standing, sitting, and drifting. Okay, this is kind of a long portion, so I'm going to read a little bit. So try and pay attention to what's going on here. As, as Remember, you're, they're drifting. So as I read through these, keep in mind about the drifting. Joshua 23, 1-16 says, Now it came to pass a long time after the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies around about, that Joshua was old, advanced in years. And Joshua called for Israel and all the elders, for the heads and their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in age. You have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who fought for you. See, I have divided you by lots of these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from the Jordan with all the nations I have cut off and as far as the great sea westward. And the Lord your God will expel them from before you and drive them out from the land 
So you shall possess the land as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very courageous and keep and do all that's written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn from the right hand or the left, or lest you go among the nations who remain among you. You shall not make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You should not serve them or bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out from before you the great and strong nations. But as for you, no one has been able to stand against you to this day. One man shall, shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, as he promised you. Therefore, take careful heed to yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Or else, if indeed you, you go back and cling to the remnant of these nations that remain among you, and make marriages with them, and go into them, and they into you. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges by your side, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. Behold, this day I am going the way of the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things the Lord spoke concerning you. All have come to pass, not one word of them has failed. Therefore it shall come to pass that all the good things have come upon you which the Lord your God promised you. So the Lord will bring upon you all the harmful things until he has destroyed you from the good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God and he is, as, which he has commanded you and have gone and served other gods and bowed down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you. And you shall perish quickly from the good land which he has given you. So we see Joshua is getting old. He says, you have seen all the works of the Lord and how he fights for you and expels the enemies from the land that they conquered so far. This is when they're obeying God. But God warns them, be careful not to swear by their gods or serve them or bow down to them or intermarry with them, but hold fast to the Lord your God or else... They will be snares and traps to you and scourges on your side and thorns in your eyes. Keep saying to yourself, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. So what do you think they did? Did they obey God or disobey God? You guys are good. You must know your Bibles. So as we go to Joshua 24, 1 through 33, it says, Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads, for their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the fathers of Abraham, father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the rivers in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout the land of Canaan, and he multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac, and to Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. And to Esau I gave the mountains of Sur to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to, to Egypt. I also sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what they did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. 
Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and they came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued their fathers, chariots and horsemen, all the way to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord and put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. Then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time, and I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand that you might possess their land. I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. Then you went over to the Jordan and came to Jericho. And all the men of Jericho fought against you. And the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Gergesites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, and all the kings of the Amorites, but not with the sword or with your bow. I have given you the land in which you did not labor, the cities in which you did not build and dwell in, and you eat of the vineyards and olive gardens which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods of your fathers served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Here's a good part of scripture I love. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers who served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites who dwell in your, in your land. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. So the people answered and said, Far be it from me that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us up out of our father's land in Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in their sight and preserved us all in the way that we went in among the people whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from among them all the people, including the Amorites who dwelt in the land. We will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn and do harm to you and consume you after he has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourself to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now, therefore, he said, put away your foreign gods from among you and incline your ears to the Lord of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice. We will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made them for a statue and an ordinance to Shechem. Then Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law, and he took a large stone and set it up under an oak tree, which by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said to all the people, behold. This stone shall be a witness for us, for it has heard all the words which he has spoken to us. It therefore is a witness to you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, each to his own inheritance. Now the people, now it came to pass that these, that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of the inheritance of Timnah Sarah, which are in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Cash. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua 
and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had known or known by experience all the works which the Lord has done for Israel. So we see that farther away they get from seeing and experiencing the miracles of God, that they compromise. And they begin to lose that close relationship with the Lord and begin to disobey the Lord. They start to drift away, and it comes with consequences, doesn't it? Now we jump into Judges chapter 1, 19 through 21. So look, the Lord was with Joshua, or Judah, and they drove out the mountaineers. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland. Watch how many things didn't happen when they weren't following the Lord. Because they had chariots of iron. But the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. So the Jebusites dwell with the children of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and the villages of Tanak and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites under tribute, but did not completely drive them out. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer. So the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Nor did Zebulon drive out the inhabitants of Kitron and the inhabitants of Nahalo. So the Canaanites dwelt among them, and they were put under tribute. Nor did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Echo or the inhabitants of Sidem or Ahilan, Akib, Helba, Aphik, or Rehob. So the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. So Hazarites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Nor did Dephtili drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemem, or the inhabitants of Beth Anath. But they dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath were put under tribute to them. Remember what Joshua said in chapter 23. Therefore, take careful to yourselves that you love the Lord your God, or else, if you indeed go back and cling to the remnant of these people and remain among them and make marriages with them and go into them and then to you, know for certain that your God will no longer drive these nations from before you. There will be snares and traps to you and scourges on your side and thorns in your eyes until you perish from the good land which the Lord has given you. He warned him, didn't he? So we see, just as Joshua said, they didn't do what the Lord told them to do, and they're now facing the consequences. Remember, there's always consequences for us, too. We don't obey God, right? You need to pay attention to that. Sometimes it doesn't come for a long time, and you think you get away with it, but we never do. We see this today as we watch TV on the news, as Israel is fighting their neighbors, and they didn't completely destroy them, remember? So they keep coming back over and over. And if they don't destroy them now, they're going to keep coming back, aren't they? So keep saying to yourself, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, and whose leaf will not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. So now we're going to jump to Judges chapter 2. We see Israel's disobedience here also. In just a little more. Then the angel of the Lord came to Gilgal to Bacham, and he said, 
I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore I said also, I will drive them out from before you. They shall be thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words that all the children of the Israel, they lifted up their voices and wept. Then they called on the name, place, name of the place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works which the Lord had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old. And they buried him in the border inheritance of Timnah-Heres in the mountains of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, listen to this. Another generation rose after them, who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done. Now they become more unfaithful. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, their God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of the plunderers who despoiled them. And he sold them into their hands of their enemies all around, so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to the judges, but they played the harlot with the other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way of their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord, who did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of their hand of all the enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved with pity by their groanings because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted or behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Then the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded your fathers, and had not heeded my voice, I will no longer drive them out from before you, the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they keep my ways of the Lord, to walk in them as their fathers kept them. Therefore, the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hands of Joshua. So we see that generational drift within Israel, the, from godliness to ungodliness. The first generation, this is just a recap, the generation that saw and experienced all the great things that God had done, they obeyed him. God saw them drive out their enemies for them and how God blessed them. The second generation who didn't experience God in the same way, the first generation did, compromise. And the Lord no longer completely drove them out from before them. The third generation compromised even more 
than the second generation. It says they did not even know the Lord or the works he had done for Israel. It says that they did evil in the sight of God and worshiped the false gods and provoked the Lord to anger. Isn't that amazing? Three generations. It's amazing to me how uh, Israel, or we, drift away from God. And we get in trouble and we call on him. And he's always willing to give us another chance, isn't he? It's sad to see the results of mankind when we refuse to obey God. In Psalm 86, 15, it says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. So we saw America drifting away. We see Israel drifting away. Now let's take a little look at how we might be drifting away from God. Now it's our turn. As I was thinking about the New Year's resolutions that the people make and how we should be drawn closer to God, I was remembering when I first became a Christian and how God completely changed my life. From the old man to the new man. Remember Romans chapter 7 to chapter 8, the old man, the new man? That's what he does in our life when he comes into us. Reading the Bible was so exciting. We went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday, home fellowship. We would listen to those. Remember those cassette, cassette tapes you used for pulling your truck and your cars? We'd listen to the cassette tapes all the time. At home, we would listen to those videotapes that the church library would lend us. We were 100% in. While I was thinking about God and putting the study together the other day, it was on my heart for the study, and I was talking to some of the other guys about the men's retreat that was coming up. And my first thought was, I should go, but I have so many things at home to do. I'm so busy, you know. And then one of the guys said, Jesus gave it all for us. I'm in. And I thought, I thought, wow. And there came the answer. Jesus was all in, so why should I hold back? I should be excited about studying the Word of God, hearing awesome worship with the other guys, praying for one another, going to the afterglow to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. I should be there to encourage the younger guys that need help in their walk. I've also noticed that at the retreats that I've been to, there's a lot of people that are struggling in life today. It's a tough, tough season right now for people. We need to be there for one another. In Isaiah 42.3 it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. God would never kick a man while he's down, would he? He would fan the smallest ember to bring it back to a full flame. One of my commentaries says, This speaks of his tender compassion toward the lowliest of the lost. He came not to gather the strong for a revolution, but to show mercy to the weak. Have you ever seen a Boy Scout trying to light a fire when they're lighting a fire? They can't use matches and they've got to heat up that wood. They rub the wood together until the little ember starts up in the weeds or whatever dry brush they're using. He starts blowing on it and he gets it to a full flame. That's what God does with us when we are down. We have drifted away from him. He never gives up on us. He sees us when our fire is barely burning and he breathes new life into us. Isn't that awesome? Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another, and much more as you see the day approaching. And the day is approaching, everybody. It's coming soon. Exhort means to comfort, to instruct, to console, or to encourage, to teach one another. When we get together with other believers, we should be working together as a body, like it's described in 1 Corinthians 12. Remember, we are part of the body working together. We should be working together. 
So back to Psalm 1. So where do we get our counsel from? The news, the CDC, our friends, maybe the chat rooms. I hope and pray that we get it from God's word. When we start walking with the wrong people or influences, we find ourselves standing with them. Pretty soon we're sitting with them and hanging out with them and start doing what they do, don't we? Walking, standing, sitting. A little while later we ask ourselves, how did I get here? I was over here, now I'm over here. We've drifted so far. As parents, we tell our kids all the time, 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Be careful who you hang out with. But do we practice what we preach in our lives? I knew a guy at work who was kind of a new believer, and he was reading the Bible all the time, and he was asking me questions. And he was really excited about the things he was learning. But he was still hanging out with some of his old friends at the bar. I told him he needed to break away from those guys and that sort of lifestyle, or he might go back to his old ways. He told me, this is my new ministry. I'll call it the bar ministry. I'll be able to witness to those guys while I'm there. Well, here we are many years later, and he's more like they are than they are like Christians. He drifted away. Remember the story of the frog in the the pan of water. If you put a frog in the water and slowly heat up the water, he will die because he didn't notice the slow temperature change. Sort of creeps up on him. But if you heat the water up really hot and throw him in when it's hot, he will immediately jump out because he notices the drastic change, doesn't he? This reminds me of the slow change in Psalm 1 and how we don't notice the slow change we make in our lives toward compromising our faith. So memorize Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaves shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Blessed means happy, or happy is the man who lives and follows the ways of the Lord. Who here wants to be happy and joyful? Who wants to be happy in here? We all do, don't we? Do we meditate on God's word every day? Remember, no read, no feed, no Bible, no breakfast. It's amazing we are given a choice to live God's way and be blessed, or man's way and perish. It seems like an easy choice, doesn't it? But many of us still choose the wrong way. In Matthew seven thirteen and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. That's one to put in your memory too. Psalm 1.3 says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. We shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Have you ever seen the trees that are growing really good? You ever notice like when you're coming over El Cajon or or Santee and you're coming over the hill and you're looking down into the valley? And you usually can see the green trees closer to the river, right? When you follow the river, it's always big green trees and you kind of move away and it's all dead. That's how it's, what, what it reminds me of when I'm reading through this. It says, we will be strong in the Lord, we will also bear fruit and not wither, and whatever we do will prosper. The first half of Psalm 1 talks about the way of the righteous, and the second half talks about the end of the ungodly. 
we have time later, we might have time, I'll read Psalm 73, which has a picture of how we might end for the ungodly will end. I want to talk about how we'll be able to stand against the enemy in this ungodly world. First, we have to make sure that we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Remember, he's the third person of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody knows that, right? In John sixteen seven, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus talking. For I do not, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And he will, he, when he comes, excuse me, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things that will come. For he will glorify me, take what is of mine, and declare it to you. All the things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So it's to our advantage that the Holy Spirit comes, right? The Holy Spirit stays with us. He can be everywhere at one time. He can dwell in all of us at the same time. Where Jesus in his earthly body was limited, wasn't he? So Jesus says, it's better that I go away because the Holy Spirit can come and fill all of you. This is just a little overview of the, the different Greek words. There are three Greek prepositions that help us to better understand the work of the Holy Spirit. With, in, and upon. The words within and upon are para, an, and a p in the Greek. The first one, it says he is with us, or para. Even before we receive him as our Lord and Savior, he is the Holy Spirit who draws us to Jesus. He convinces us of our need for a Savior. He convicts us of our sin. So that's the first job of the Holy Spirit. And it says, second, the very moment we say yes to him, he invites us in, or en, en. He gives us a new birth or regeneration. We are now his child, part of the family of God. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us, or E-N-N. According to Ephesians 1, 13, 14, this is one of Pastor Bill's memory verses, we are now sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our salvation, right? There's some people that don't believe that you can be saved. It's a guarantee. They think you can lose it, and it's not. It's not that way. It's a guarantee of your salvation. Third, yet there's a third work of the Spirit given to us which imparts power upon us, or a P, enabling us to be dynamic witnesses. In Acts 1.8, we find the third preposition, the word upon, which is E-P-I, a P, in the Greek. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This word indicates that the Holy Spirit desires to be continually in overflowing in us. Every time we go out, we should be praying. You know, as Pastor Bill comes up and they pray, Rudy's always praying for people. The Holy Spirit comes upon you and fills you for each job you do when you go out and witness, when you go in the neighborhood. You should be praying that the Holy Spirit empowers you. That's the third part of the Holy Spirit. Okay. If you're not saved yet, just trust in Jesus and repent of your sins. So if you're any non-believers in here... Remember our memory verse, it is to be saved. Pastor Bill says, go to Romans 10, 9-11. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, 
and believe in your heart that God had raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. After we are saved and after the Holy Spirit is in us, we have to just be obedient to us, right? To God. Just be obedient. Just, just read his word and do what he says. Remember in Acts 1.8, when Jesus told them to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, it says, before you go out into the world and share the gospel, we need to make sure we're empowered by the Holy Spirit before we go out and preach or serve him in any way, right? This is him doing the work through us. Remember that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians and compare it to the stories we just heard. In the book of Joshua, remember the first generation of believers that saw and experienced all the miracles that God did? Their faith was followed by actions. In Corinthians, it talks about the spiritual man or the Christian. The spiritual man is the one whose spirit has come alive through faith in Jesus. His mind and life are no longer ruled by the flesh, but by the spirit of God. God opens up his understanding to the things that were a mystery before. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that awesome? You have the spirit dwelling in you. You have the mind of Christ. That, is, that blows me away. In Judges 2, 7 through 8, it says the second generation, after Joshua died, they had seen the miracles of God, but didn't experience God like the first generation did, and their faith wasn't as strong. This is the carnal Christian. He has accepted Jesus as Savior, but he hasn't fully submitted his life to the Lordship of Jesus. He has enough of Jesus to be miserable in the world, but too much of the world to be happy in Christ. You ever seen a believer like that who comes to the Lord, but he doesn't want to give up the old life, and he's really not very happy because he's, he can't be happy in the old life because the, the Holy Spirit convicts him all the time when he does things wrong. It's a terrible place to be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, And brethren, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as a carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, or another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? In Judges 2.10 it said, The third generation that did not know God, nor the works which he had done. This is the natural man. In Corinthians it talks about the three men. The natural man is ruled by the flesh. And the spiritual things are foolishness to him. You ever talk to someone that you're trying to get to come to the Lord and they just, they just laugh at what you say? It's so foolishness to them. It says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, right? Sad. So if, if I asked all of you here today to examine yourselves, what category would you be in? Would you be the spiritual man, the carnal Christian, or the natural man? Don't answer this is just for you guys. Have you ever seen the movie Time Changer? You guys ever seen that movie Time Changers? It's about a Bible professors in the Grace Bible Seminary in the 1800s. You guys remember that one? One of them writes a book, and he didn't use the name of Jesus, just the principles in the Bible. The other professors who had a time machine and sent himself into the future, this was the 1800s, and he sent him into the future, 1980, I think it was, 
and uh, it shows that in that short amount of time that sin abounded, the morals have replaced Jesus with liberal teaching. Families were in disarray. There is no respect. The Lord is not feared. Churches, churches are filled with pro- professing Christians who do not follow the Lord that they claim to believe in. And TV and the secular entertainment was one of the biggest tools of the enemy. So as he sent his guy forward in time from 1800 to 1980s, the difference they saw, can you imagine the difference they saw with TV and radio and all the things that we have to distract us? So if you get time, watch that movie, Time Changers. It's pretty eye-opening. So walking, standing, and sitting. This is an example of Psalm 1, 1 through 6. You guys all know it by now, but i got to say it again because this is part of the memory verse for today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season, and whose leaf shall also not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is where it changes. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Verse 4 says, The ungodly are not so. So what happens to the wicked in the end? You guys know where the wicked go? What happens to them? Let me read, uh, let's see, we have time. I have five minutes. Let's read Psalm 73. We'll find out. The tragedy of the wicked and the blessedness of trusting in God. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as is pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble like other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than their heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongues walk through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and the waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And he, is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in their riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I saw how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Now watch, pay attention right here. It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in a slippery place. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation, as in the moment. They are utterly consumed with terror. As a dream when one awakens, so the Lord you awaken. You shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by your right hand, and you guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides you. 
My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the por- my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to you, for I have my, put my trust in the Lord God, that I might declare all your works. Psalm seventy three seventeen says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. There is the end that is not good for the ungodly. As the psalmist worshipped God in the worship center, he began to understand God's perspective on the fate of the wicked people, those who abandon God in a life flowing with idols. It eventually will endure to eternal death. Are we drifting away from God? We need to draw closer to him to make sure we spend eternity with him and not cast down to destruction. Hebrews 2.1 says, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to these things we have heard, lest we drift away. We need to pay closer attention. Do you remember James Dobson, a focus on the family? Maybe 30 years ago, you guys remember him. Turn your hearts toward home. They had that little film series. 30 years ago, he would say, it's a slippery slope to evil when we need to turn our hearts to families and to follow God. We now are seeing what happens when we compromise by looking at the world today. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So as I close, you might, want to be, or you might be asking, what do we do? What do we do in these last days? We need to learn from our past, don't we? Remember, America drifting, the children of Israel drifting, and how we personally may be drifting away from God and his principles. Second Chronicles 7.14, you guys all know this one says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. In Romans thirteen twelve it says, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Rather, clothe yourselves with Jesus. Just put on Jesus every day, right? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. We pray that we apply it to our lives, that if we find ourselves drifting away, that we come closer to you, we would repent and come back to you. Thank you that you never cease to forgive us. You always love us and want us to return. Help us to also pass it on to people that don't know you before the time of destruction comes. We just thank you for this time. Praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen.